Well, I'm not a crook. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. It transcends the senses. This is Murder of Grey. Hello, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome to the Murder of Grey podcast. Thank you guys for joining us after a little bit of a break there. Uh, we I went on a vacation, ended up going uh, to a bunch of different national parks through Utah, Arizona, and Nevada. About 14 to be specific between national and state parks. It was uh, quite the endeavor. It was, over, it was about two weeks of travel and just so much fun to check that stuff out. But it really inspired this today's episode. Oh, and before we dive into today's episode, actually, I want to say thank you guys so much for your patience and hope that you enjoyed the episodes that we put up for you guys. Our nice little recast of a couple episodes that we really meant something more to us and we thought were interesting enough to deliver back to you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed that. But now back to today's episode. Uh, During my traveling out there and looking at the national parks and the state parks and hearing about the history, I wanted to start to dive in a little bit more into those things. And it turns out there's a lot of controversy behind the national and state parks. Now, I've kind of heard a little bit of it throughout my life because we've gone to so many parks, but I never really dove into it. And so we both did some research on this, and it turns out there is a lot of hidden history behind the national parks. There's so much, um, you know, segregation, racism, uh, patriotism, and like just awkwardness and just horrible things that have been covered up throughout time. uh, And just a lot of lies that were actually spewed about the national parks. I mean, they're known as America's greatest treasure. They're known as untouched wonders for Americans to enjoy, for people to enjoy. I mean, back in the day, it was Americans to enjoy. Now, they're trying to say everybody can enjoy the national parks, but it doesn't really feel that way just yet, right? And we'll get into that a little bit more in, in today's episode as well, where everyone's supposed to feel welcome, but that just doesn't really happen, now does it? But anyway, first things first, there's a lot to talk about with this. And as far as like the history behind the national parks, so the national parks have a very rich history and one that is paved with illusion and grandeur and all that good stuff in between. But going back in time here, the first national park was set up in 1872. And that was actually Yellowstone National Park. And uh, like this was said to be a beautiful place that was captured by, you know, not captured, sorry. I mean, technically, yes, captured, but it was (laughs) found and claimed by settlers out there. Uh, Of course, people were forcibly removed and well, touch bases on that a little bit later but it starting in 1872 is when the national parks started to kind of pop up and it started to become an idea in the united states of uh, preserving these beautiful areas uh once again quote unquote untouched areas uh but the national park service itself wasn't actually established until 1916 so there's about 40 years there of people just kind of doing their own thing to try and figure out how like how do national parks work or how are they going to continue to work and throughout that entire process uh, there was a lot of land being claimed right there was a lot of people being pushed out of their areas so there's a lot of indigenous people that were being forcibly removed 
from these quote unquote untouched areas and then a bunch of beautiful signs from the government were getting put up that this is now a national park for everyone to enjoy unless you're an indigenous person that wanted to live there you can't do that anymore okay right yeah they they did start signing some treaties and things like that to allow them to hunt still in those areas but those were later uh, removed when the national park service was actually put into place so that there was no more hunting allowed there was no more foraging so these people who have been reliant on this land for centuries now have lost a major food source for themselves and it, or just major resources that they've relied on. And it's now become a kind of theme park, right? And there's, it's, uh, it's really hard to really like dive into and think about this, right? Like this is something that people go to vacations on. There's so many great memories of being a child and camping out there and, and national parks are such a, like a weekend getaway and like, but there's a lot going on in the background that we're just not aware of. And I, I don't know, like I, I'm a national park freak and I, I, <laughs> I love them. Like we've gone to so many of them. We have a patch at every single park that we've been to. We have so many patches that they actually don't fit in our Jeep anymore. We have to figure out which ones yeah, are going to go up. Yeah, like you, uh, every national park or state park has a an icon, right, or a logo for that area, and they're really really cool. So you can collect pins or patches or whatever, and it's like a badge saying "I went there," right? That's cool. And right, it is really fun. It's fun to collect them. And while we went on our recent trip, this last vacation, we got fourteen new patches to add to our collection. So it was a really, I mean, I. I love that kind of stuff, right? It's, it reminds me of Pokemon and all that. Right? It's it's just <laughs> fun, but I, I don't know, like. What's your history with national parks, actually? Before we start talking about the dark stuff behind it, because I mean, regardless of how negative national parks can be or the history behind them is, I mean, it's hard to deny the good things that have come from this, right? The talks about conservation, the memories that people have had. And just the general interest in the wilderness to begin with, right? Like that, there has to be some good to this. Mm, growing up, I never really went to one. Actually, mm. um, it well, when we had moved to the south for a few years uh, as a kid, there wasn't really a national park nearby. I mean, there was the Smoky Mountains, but I mean that's not a national park. So, like, I think that's state park or and uh, Bureau of Land Management or BLM land. Yeah. So it was like, and it was also just like any kind of stuff like that was always. It's gonna sound dumb, but like it was kind of not expensive, but like we just never really could like go. Mm-hmm. Um, even later on, uh, once uh, we moved back to California, it was always kind of like, well, you know, it, it just never really happened. And when I got older, like, yeah, I, I enjoy going to them now. You know, I think it, it might be a little bit harder now with a kid. So that's why we haven't gone because it's like, I don't know, hanging out in a, a tent mm, yeah, with uh, a kid is kind of difficult. So as much as I would love to go, uh, back to Joshua Tree or, you know, just different areas again. Like, I love going to them, you know. But, uh, yeah, now that I see that there's patches, it makes me really 
kind of want to go to all of them now. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's a bad habit, and be careful. The first patch you get is going to be like a gateway, to, a gateway drug to wanting all of them. It's it's pretty bad. It because we the first place we go to every time we go to a, a new park is the visitor center, and which hmm. I would recommend to everybody. Honestly, it's great for information. They let you know about road closures, what campsites are open, what aren't what the weather's going to be like, right? What trails actually make sense to be done. Or if you only have a couple hours before sundown, you can actually say that like, hey, I only have three or four hours. What should I do? Because that's all these rangers are doing is going around these trails all day. They live out there, right? Like they know the spots and you might get lucky and find some hidden locations too. Because mm-hmm. we found a lot of amazing campsites that we would have never found on our own because we asked a ranger at a visitor center. And they just like, they're like, yeah, you can camp out here. It's going to cost you some money. But if you're willing to drive out this way, take this service road until it dead ends, cross this river, you got Jeep, so you're good. And then you take these roads up this way, keep going north, you're going to find this best spot, right? Like it's conversations like that that happen at the visitor center. So I definitely would recommend going there. And what's actually nice about the visitor centers is most of them that we went to actually had real history on the people that actually lived on that land. Because when we went to some of the parks, the the points of interest that you would see were very heavily, you know, like colonial focused. It was all like what white people did at the parks and heavily Mormon. We went to Utah Park. We went to Utah. So there's a lot of Mormon stuff where we were going around. And uh, uh, most of the points of interest were based off of what Mormons had put there, right? But then when you went to the visitor center, we actually saw real clothing and real things from the actual Indians or indigenous people that lived in that area prior to the Mormons. So that was actually a lot more fascinating to hear about. And we uh, we stumbled on this whole idea a few years back of BLM land or Bureau of Land Management. And a lot of it is Indian reservation land that they've opened up for you to go and camp on and it's truly untouched but there's a lot of rules of you know pack in pack out everything you bring in must come out right 100 mm-hmm. percent. it's not like a regular campsite there is no water there is no showers there's no bathrooms any of that stuff you have to be able to be resourceful on your own and given the setup that we have we're allowed to do that so it, we are lucky enough to be able to experience camping on that level but it's uh it's truly amazing and some of the best places i've ever seen were the ones that are not on the brochures right they're not the ones that are being like waved in our face of where to go because some you know mormon settlers decided to go there and plant some apple trees it's like that's nice i guess right it looks pretty (laughs) but it's not interesting to me right or it's not why I'm going out and exploring these sites. I want to know the history behind these places. I want to really dive into that kind of stuff. And it's really sad to see how much history is being covered up throughout these national parks. And it's it's just really disappointing to see all this stuff. Uh, like there is a small resurgence of people or like plaques getting changed, which I thought was really amazing. There was a couple plaques that said you know revised as of blah, uh, x date i can't remember but it had been changed from being very colonial focused to actually talking about how like the navajo indians happened to live on the land or how the havasupai people lived 
in the area, right? Like it was more geared towards that, like the true history of the area, not what, you know, white settlers did. And it, to me, that's much more important for us to know as far when it comes to uh, caring thing about things like conservation and all that stuff and the actual history of the area. Because there's a lot more like spiritual meaning behind it too, right? And I, I feel like that's what a lot of people go to these parks for is because I can't tell you how many times I mentioned, oh, we went to Moab and everyone was like, oh my God, did you feel it? And I'm like, feel what? Man? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it's so, there's just a weird energy out there. And I went, yeah, there's a lot of people, like too many people, honestly, in my opinion, right? Like, that's what I thought about Zion, too. Like, we drove past Zion. I saw the line. I went, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> like, it does not look fun to me. So it, it's, I don't know. There, There's something to that of, like, having the the true history being told again, which is nice. But it's very slow, right? And it's it's it shouldn't be. It should be much more, like, up front, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, it. I'm trying to figure out like what, why even hide this, right? Like, it, it, I know that there's some brutal things that happened in the past, but I mean, it, they could have even just not talked about the brutal, the brutality of what happened, but just the actual history behind it, right? Like, I, I'm trying to figure out like what, what stemmed this? I mean, obvious racism, but you know, like, like what, why is this such a hidden thing? It is kind of weird. Like it, it growing up, it's like you kind of you know this stuff happened, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it. I doubt they got rid of that in textbooks. Like we know a lot of bad stuff happened in the past in this country, and it's like why would they just not include that in this when it's like this is the actual place it happened, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't know. It's just kind of odd to me. Like it. I get that Nate, some people could be like, oh, you're trying to forget the wrongdoings and go past it. But it's like, in this sense, it's a little different because it's not so much like trying to, you know, forget about the past and move on. It's more so it's like we're just hiding the past. And it, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's kind of disrespectful, you know, like I think that there should be, you know, information available. For anyone that goes, you'd be like, hey, this is, you know, what actually happened here. And, you know, it's, you know, times are different now. But just so you know, like, decades ago, this this is what really went down. Mm -hmm. Or even just keeping the original names, I think, would be such a more impactful meaning behind them. Right. Because like, mm -hmm. even look at Yosemite. Right. Yosemite is such a popular tourist destination. It's one of the biggest national parks, like most popular ones out there. And the people who originally resided there were the Awanichi Indians, right? And the like Yosemite used to be called Awani, which means gaping mouth like place, right? And like it, to me, like Awani sounds much more impactful than Yosemite. Like, it's something I really would be more interested in going to because what is Yosemite? I, I don't know, man. Right. <laughs> like, but mm -hmm. uh, like in 1851, California soldiers happened to discover I'm, I'm, for, this is an audio medium, but I'm putting some really big air quotes up right there. They discovered the valley while actually pursuing the Awanichi soldiers to expel them from the area. 
So while they were out there trying to remove the Awanichi, they claimed this land, renamed it Yosemite, and later let the Awanichi return, but gave them really, really embarrassing jobs of Indian performers or, you know, like, like grunt work kind of stuff too, right? Like forcing them to show off their their history in an area in which that they were forcibly expelled from. And it's, that's really hard to see, right? And there, there's a lot of things that happen with that. Like a, a lot of, a lot of areas and a lot of tourist areas when you go to them and they happen to have like, oh, here's a indigenous uh, people reenacting a ceremony or a ritual. That's not how the ritual probably really went down. They've really placated it up to be more of a show. And it's more of like being a jester, right? Like, like almost becoming comical at that point, where it's, it's losing the the meaning behind it. I mean, that happens in every culture. I mean, even in Hawaii too. Like hula dancing was sacred at one <laughs> point. Now it's just something you do on Fridays, right? Like it's <laughs> it's nothing anymore. It's just a something you see at a resort, or right, or even like belly dancing was a much more predominant thing and a much more like high-end dance or like a important thing and now it's it's anybody can say they're a belly dancer right like but they're not actually doing it so it there's a lot of that that's been going around to you where you can go to a lot of these visitor centers or things like that and get oh a legitimate indian you know relics of the it's like no like you're just getting crap that's being made, right? Like this isn't real. This isn't tangible. It's just, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's almost a joke now at this point. And it's, it's kind of like rubbing it in the faces of the people that live there originally, right? Like giving them jobs like that to become tourist performers. It's just, that's the only way that they can return to their homeland, but they're not allowed to live there anymore. They can't survive off that land anymore. And the only reason why that land was flourishing to begin with was because they were there tending to the land and keeping it alive. Or, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying not to get heated so I can keep my thoughts <laughs> together and actually have like coherent conversation here, but it's just so hard to do so. So it's obvious that the parks were started by, uh, you know, removing, forcibly removing people from them. And now there's this whole misconception that this land is for everyone to now enjoy, to go to and see. But it doesn't actually feel that way. I mean, whenever you look at statistics of actually who goes to these national parks, and in 2019, 78% of the visitors who went to the national parks were white. And it's one of those things that gets brought up constantly, actually, by my partner. My partner is Mexican. And a lot of times whenever we go to these parks, she I won't notice it. And she'll bring it up and say, did you notice there was only one other black person here? Right? Or like, there's only one other colored person here? Like, there's, it's all white people. And that really started to open my eyes and I'm noticing it more and more. And the statistics show that, right? So it just goes to show that these lands are not for everyone. And you brought it up uh, earlier whenever you mentioned that it's a little expensive to go to these places. And it is, right? Uh, Instead of like, it cost us 
the same whenever we look at the cost of equipment and paying for gas and fuel and the food, everything like that on the break that we currently have, the same amount of money as if we went out of the country for two weeks, right? So a lot of families can't afford that style of camping that we were doing or being able to enjoy these parks. So it is very, it's very gated off as far as like cost goes. And I, I know that I'm, I'm privileged and lucky enough to appreciate these things and go to these places. But the the worst part about that is that without people of color, national parks would not even exist today, right? Like the Buffalo soldiers back in the day, they were the first national park rangers. Their, what they did in the national parks laid the groundwork to the rangers that we have today. They help lay down the rules and the standards that we still hold today. And a lot of people don't know that the Buffalo soldiers were black. And, you know, we we talked about this briefly before the episode even started. But in school, you get talked to about the Buffalo soldiers. But it's kind of a footnote in history books. It's not really dove into and there's not a lot of information behind it. And I don't actually remember ever being told that they were black or even seeing a picture of the Buffalo soldiers in my history books. I was just told that they were, you know, a great group of guys that went out and, you know, protected the lands and they worked for um, Teddy Roosevelt and they were actually picked by him, right, and explored the great frontier. Like that was, that's what I know about the Buffalo soldiers from history books and, and from my history classes. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, history lessons have changed now in schools. Uh, I know they have, but they've changed for the worse. So I would be very curious if Buffalo soldiers even get brought up nowadays, right, with all the ridiculousness that's happening in the school system. Uh, but it's it's a sad thing to hear that people don't feel comfortable going to the parks. And to the point where my partner actually wanted to get uh, weapons to protect herself because we've heard so many horror stories of people camping and their stuff getting stolen. And it turns out, the ones that are being attacked are the people of color and the ones that are doing the attacking are the white people in those areas. And it, like that made me uncomfortable. Right? I was like, I like, that's a horrible thing. Like why? Right. And it's just, it, it's, it sucks, you know, and it's, you know, there are some people who are going out and trying to talk to the national parks and the state parks to rectify that, to make people feel more comfortable with it. Because one of the big things that is making people uncomfortable with going to the national parks is the fact that all of the signage is in English, and that's it. There are almost no signs that are bilingual or in any other language or in a way or presented in a way that anybody of any nationality can go look and get information from them, right? Like it's, it just doesn't exist. But there's a, a group of people in California specifically that are trying to go around to all of the local hiking trails and to the parks in the area of Southern California to get the signs put in both English and Spanish. So more people will feel comfortable going out and hiking because white people aren't the only ones that like to go hiking. I'm sorry, right? Like it's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Everybody enjoys a good hike, right? <laughs> and so just adding that can make people feel so much more comfortable just seeing some sense of representation in just the signage alone. And it's so important. And I feel like that's a conversation that really needs to be brought up to 
the National Park Service. And I know it has. It it would be impossible to or kind of it would be dumb of me to think that that conversation has never been brought up to them. But they really need to act upon it. And they really need to figure out how to get everyone on board with this, because it would be nice to see other families out there and enjoying this and uh, having more people just experience and and just enjoy the space that they're in because there are some places in the national parks that are going away right there are things it's it's just natural right things are eroding away they're changing or due to the amount of traffic that's currently going through some of the parks after covid things are getting kind of messed up right so it would be nice to let people see this before the inevitable decline of the national parks, uh, which is a whole nother topic to talk about. It's it's frustrating in, in its own sense. But yeah. It's weird the signs don't have Spanish. At least seeing that, as right? how like a very large chunk of the population speaks Spanish here. Well, even there's a lot of national parks that they're like, look at the Channel Islands. All the islands were renamed by the Spaniards. So why not have it, right? Like Santa Cruz is not the original name of that island. It is not right. called Sacred Cross. No. <laughs> like <laughs> So it's it's crazy that, you know, or like El Capitan, right? Like, no, that's not the real name. <laughs> so why do we have this but not actual like actually there was a there's a town in Utah. There's a rock structure out there, right? And it's called Mexican Hat. And then I kept looking, I'm like, why not just call it sombrero? Because that the rock structure looks like a sombrero, but it's called Mexican hat. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing. Go figure, right? (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. It's it's sad how much racism's actually at these places. And it's like acceptable racism like no one looks at it and goes yeah okay whatever right like everyone just kind of brushes over it when they really shouldn't i know this whole episode's been kind of talking about racism but speaking of it mm-hmm. <laughs> what about something you wouldn't expect to have kind of a dark past and it may mm. not be the exact person, but the thing revolving around it. What if I told you this individual has his own zip code? One of the few beings in the United... Well, I don't know about beings, but one of the few things in this country to have their own zip code other than the president. Can you believe that? Smokey the Bear. He has his own zip code? Yes. That's awesome. People mail them. Uh, I was looking it up, and uh, supposedly people mail them even to this day, which is kind of surprising. I'm like, do we even see Smokey the Bear like ads anymore? Dude, we're obsessed with Smokey. We are a Smokey the Bear family. Um, I have a Smokey the Bear calendar. I got patches. Yeah, even have this. Don't you? I have not yet. (laughs) I want the hat. Um, but I we even have the Smokey the Bear Lego set that I built here. I'll have to take a picture. We'll post it on the the feed. But yeah, there's a little like, it's not really like Lego, but it's like Lego. Like, you know, the fake Legos. But yeah, we have a little like Smokey the Bear one that I just built. Actually, I got it on this last trip. (laughs) That's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. I I mean, I never realized he was that big. 
he's a huge icon, man. I mean, he's been around for so long. Look how long sure. he's been around. I mean, he so he got big around the time that a lot of other American, like, I don't want to say cartoons, but a lot of other, like... Like symbols, right? Symbols, yeah. It's like an, a, a traditional American symbol. Um, and I feel like this was probably the more acceptable one because a lot of the other ones just kind of, I don't know, didn't really fit. Like this, when he says prevent forest fires, it just sounds like a good thing to do because, I mean, why would you want something to burn, right? Right. And uh, it's interesting how before there was... I don't want to say before he was a friendly face because it was kind of since the beginning, but around the time, I think it was, let's see, uh, 1942, there was a Japanese submarine that pulled up on the coast of California, which I, I feel like like a lot of people, I didn't know this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I and- mean, this actually started the concentration camps for the Japanese in California. Sorry, if people don't know this, there are actual concentration camps in California you can still go visit that mm-hmm. held Japanese citizens. And they are basically wiped out of history. And it is, it was, I, I lost it when I went there. I actually started crying because it was really impactful and really hard to see. Yeah, I think there's still some still alive from that time, too. Mm-hmm. I, if my I grandma remember... wasn't actually married to a soldier, she would have made her way in there. Because she was in California at the time. Bam. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's something you don't really hear anyone ever talk about anymore. Is that. Like, especially that. But. So there was. Uh, it, it shot towards an oil field. And it was basically the first actual attack on U.S. soil. Or mainland, I guess, because, I mean, it's water. But uh, there was no loss of life, and there was barely any damage at all. But, you know, as America likes to do, it likes to make this a rally call Mm -hmm. for, you know, oh, we got to do something about this. And so they created a bunch of ads and a lot of... I'm trying to think of the word, not hearsay, but a lot of like babble of just propaganda. Yeah. Propaganda of like, oh, we can't tolerate this. We need to attack. And of course, it's done in very distasteful ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the poster that I'm looking at right now, it's a man standing behind a tree and it's supposed man in quotes (laughs) yeah it's you know with a rising sun in the background Mm -hmm. and it's very obvious they're trying to hint at a race and they have basically a zippo or no it's matches in front of a tree and i don't really understand the first part of the poster but uh basically it says careless matches ate the axis and they started using this event in a sense where it's like, Oh, like the axis powers. If you set a fire, it's going to aid, you know, the axis powers. And it's like, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't think about setting 
you know, national parks on fire. I feel yeah. like there'd be much they're bigger just, issues they're, they're, they would go yeah. for. They're blowing it out of proportion. But I, during to kind of put it in perspective, too, during the time, the national parks were actually run by the war cabinet. So they mm. got roped into this stuff. And the the start of the poster, I mean, it it's bad language now, right? But back then, it had... But like, what is it? Uh, stop and get your free fag bag. So a free fag bag, a fag was a cigarette, right? So that's what yeah. it used to be called. So a, fr- a fag bag was a way to, a safe place to put your matches and your cigarettes. Oh. So that you didn't just discard them in the parks. So it's just basically like a trash bag for your stuff so that you're being cautious and not just, you know, throwing matches out into the wilderness. Fascinating. I didn't mm-hmm. know they made bags for that. Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously back in the day, right, you'd see like Olympic runners smoking a cigarette while working out. So you can imagine people were going out hiking and smoking at the same time. And people still do that now, which is weird. But you see them vaping on the trails. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, <laughs> They're being but, cool. Don't you know smoking is cool still? Yeah, it's so cool. So cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah, bro. I'm all that was, man for days. Like some people used to carry a pouch that was basically a way for them to put their butts in the cigarette butts and that's what a fag bag was uh, makes sense well hey at least it's better than littering right yeah yeah i mean this what two birds with one stone no littering and no fire starting exactly oh and three uh you're not helping the axis as well <laughs> Queen I mean, America. I, I, yeah <laughs> so basically the, this these ads were i think before smokey was actually uh created and before smoking, they went through a few other kind of different images for what it should be. And Bambi was actually uh, one, which I kind of see that makes sense, right, Bambi? Yeah. And adorable woodland creature. Yeah. Uh, eventually, they just decided on what was it? A Conquer Spaniel? They did that for a little while, yeah. I yeah, for like some of the for the Saturday Evening Post, and then 1944 they had a little bear, and then a few years later, that's when you know the famous line started: "The only you can burn forest fires," and that's kind of the birth of Smokey, which I didn't realize it was that old, but it's kind of yeah. His first name was Butch, though. Butch the bear. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It wasn't until about six years later that he got renamed. But those only you posters. Once again, the War Cabinet was in charge of the national parks, right? So the only you could prevent forest fires. He was in the same pose as Uncle Sam. So that's where it still fed into this like whole propaganda stuff as well. So it's it's still there. It's just being hinted at now instead of being more in your face than some of these other horrible posters were in the past. So it's it's tough, though. I mean, it, 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 I feel bad for Smokey. And actually, uh, the way that Smokey the Bear gets his real name is from a real live bear, uh, right? And it's, I mean, he's strewn in... He was made... It's kind of weird, right? Like, in the 40s, he was made out of necessity so that racism wasn't so rampant and obvious in these posters. And there wasn't that much hate in the national parks because 
they were trying to keep away that hatred for a little while. So, of course, adorable creature comes in, saves the day, right? Makes it a little bit more approachable. And you got this shirtless bear that's amazing <laughs> that everybody loves. And they actually put pants on him so that he can appear more trusting. That was some quote from some random thing. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> it it doesn't feel like, because they originally had a shirt on him and they didn't want it to feel like it was the man talking to you, right? Like it was an authoritative figure because he was in a collared shirt uh, and at one point. And they apparently pulled that very quickly uh, because they felt like he was more laid back and easy to, uh, more approachable if he was shirtless. And I'm like, that's freaking funny <laughs> and really weird. But the the name Smokey came about because there was a really bad fire at one point and some rangers were out there trying to put out the fire. And while they were there, there was a bear cub that got caught in the flames and he was massively burned, injured and very hurt. And this first group of rangers went out there trying to save the bear, even though they were told they're not allowed to interact with wildlife. If the wildlife gets burned, they get burned. That's it, right? You leave them alone. Uh, it's, I mean, it makes sense to a certain extent, right? So they don't become reliant on people. That's where the whole idea of pack in, pack out, don't feed the animals, right? Leave them alone kind of thing. But they saw this, they tried to save the bear, but apparently the bear attacked them. And some of the rangers got actually pretty hurt, right? The bear bit a couple of them, so they left it. And then a next group of rangers came by and saw the same bear. So they tried to save him, and they got attacked too, and they decided to move on. Then a third set of rangers came by and were once again attacked by this bear while trying to save the bear, but <laughs> they were able to actually get it out of the fire and get it back to base, right? So they were able to bring it back. It had some really massive burns on it. It was just a little bear cub. So obviously it got separated from its mother and probably its other, you know, its brothers or sisters. So it's just really sad, right? Like you can't help feel bad for Smokey. Uh, so Smokey ends up getting uh, taken care of. Uh, there was a vet on board that was there trying to help out any wildlife that was found or that, you know, they could try and save and rehabilitate. So but I guess Smokey was in critical condition at this point. Uh, so they uh, helicoptered him out and got him to a zoo where he was able to get fully rehabilitated. And the they named him Smokey, right? Which is kind of a messed up thing to think about, right? You're getting named <laughs> after the fact that you just got horrifically burned. It, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> and he became an icon. And so the government saw this as a perfect time to jump on this bandwagon where there's a lot of news buzz about this adorable bear cub that got caught in a fire named Smokey. Well, we just got, like, we're still in the early stages of Smokey becoming an icon. Let's change the name. So now there was a real Smokey the Bear out there, and I knew that that Smokey the Bear, the real one, got a lot of letters from people uh, based off of the, you know, posters from Smokey itself. And there's a lot of connection between the two of them. But, yeah, it's uh, it's... It's, it's an interesting story as far as like why he got that name and all that. So it's, it's Smokey the Bear is named after an actual bear that got caught in a wildfire and was made as a necessity to try and alleviate the fact that the posters that were going around to save the national parks were extremely harsh, right? Uh, or like violent or there's a lot of hate in them and they wanted to make the national parks not 
about that. They were trying to smooth over and make it much more of an approachable thing. And uh, there's some interesting controversies with the Smokey the Bear stuff, too, with the whole um, Smokey effect and everything like that. I, I don't know. Like, it still feels a little strange to me, this it, idea, but it kind of makes sense. It's kind of weird because so in 1978, uh, the Forest Service uh, started doing like controlled burns and allowing natural fires to kind of burn because, you know, there's there's benefits to it. Right. Um, as long as it doesn't burn down the whole region, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and. So people are kind of confused about that, right, because it's like, well how can I prevent a forest fire if the forest service is starting it? And I mean, for the most part, they're basically saying like, well, don't just flick your cigarette butt mm -hmm. and some pile of leaves, you know, like it, I mean, I guess to me, it would make sense, right? It's like, well, it's not like I'm starting a fire. It's, you know, controlled, but like slash and burn is a thing. It, it's actually really great for the soil. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, it's done everywhere, kind of, mm -hmm. for the most part. And uh, in 2001, around then, uh, his message was updated to say that only unplanned, uncontrolled wildfires needed to be prevented. Mm. But and it doesn't that, have you know, a nice ring to it. <laughs> it, it exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, mm, that's not really catchy, but, you know, at least, uh, at least Smokey the Bear is telling me if there's fire danger today, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I like that a lot. Anyway, I, I think that's going to do it for us this week. We guys hope you've enjoyed this little episode here on the National Parks. And I really want to get the point across that, like, go to the parks, right? Go enjoy this resource that we have. It is amazing to see these things. It's beautiful land, and it's an amazing place to go. But know your history behind it. Do your homework and actually praise the people that made that land the way it is, right? This was not untouched land. It was well-preserved land. It was land that was relied upon but for centuries from a lot of people. But it's there's this whole false idea, and I, everyone needs to feel welcome in these places. Everyone should feel comfortable in a national park. It's It, it just doesn't, like, doesn't sit well. It shouldn't feel like there's a barrier of entry to go and enjoy this thing. Uh, to see these beautiful sights, to experience something and share something with your family that you can take with you for generations. But yeah, so give praise to the right people and the indigenous people, right? Like the ones who actually did the work. The colonists just went in, showed up and said, hey, this is mine now, right? And they're just like an angry toddler that just showed up and took someone's toys, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's ridiculous. So... I feel like more people being aware of this and just getting that message across and, and just knowing that there's a much deeper, much richer history here than some Mormon settling on this land, right? It is so much more meaningful, so much more impactful, and so much more beautiful in a sense. And it really does make these lands the most beautiful place in America. But yeah. Anyway. That's going to do it for us this week, and we will talk to you guys next time uh, with some more dilemmas that we find through space-time and all the spaces in between. But until then, bye for now.